this woman had no shame. She was like, she was like, darn, okay. Like, and it, y'all need to be reminded, you guys are like, actually, that you are crazy. Like, you can't just go around killing people. It's not okay just because you're in a different reality. It's still real. week's episode of mandatory redistribution party my name is jack evans and my name is sean morley this week's episode is about utopia dystopia and human imagination have you ever had a completely unique thought no uh, no while we're here a bit of admin spoiler warnings for uh, jurassic park alien aliens star trek the original series star trek the next generation star trek deep space nine star trek voyager star trek enterprise star trek discovery Star Trek Picard, The Walking Dead, Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots, Harry Potter, Joker, Parasite, Final Fantasy 7, and The Green Hill Zone of Sonic the Hedgehog. But isn't there like a statue of limitations on spoilers? Uh, there used to be, but society's removed it. Yeah, the discourse has, has, has moved you on have, beyond my understanding. The dialectic, the only truth, the only constant is change. You can't spoiler a movie from 50 years ago. Yeah, you can. Not everything is ruined by having an awareness of some of the events that happen in the third arc. I know the broad plots of lots of pieces of art. I don't think it's going to stop me from engaging with them. Do you not agree with what I'm saying, though? That Oh, I agree. But I am aware of those who do not agree. So I'm catering okay. to them. And they are probably louder than the people who are indifferent to this whole issue. They're, they're louder they and they're dangerous. more dangerous. They're more... We're passive. On the online Twitter sphere, as radical leftists, the only people we truly fear are spoiler culture... Uh, Warriors. <laughs> spoiler yeah, culture, culture warriors. Yeah. Um, SCWs. They want nothing spoiled. So you're able to spoil anything. That's the culture that's, war. That's their only ethic. Yeah. That's their the only true ethic. ideal is that nothing is made... I'm not made aware of anything until it's happening right ahead of me. Road signs, I never look. Yeah, when there's yeah, a hard but, left, I just have to, I just have to react. Roadworks ahead? I'm going to find that when I'm hitting the hitting the crewman. You find them in the replies to like UN reports about the impacts yeah. of climate change. I'll find out when the seas are boiling. <laughs> <laughs> I can only enjoy anything if it surprises me. Surprise is the highest thing that art can do, which is why I just go to fast cut montages of unrelated images and sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and for some wow, we're reason... we're really going boots in on spoiler people. <laughs> but, but at the same time, expecting them to be definitely listening to this episode. Well, this episode is about what human imagination can do. The human brain's a bit like a Play-Doh shape extruder. You feed in ideas, a little bit of pressure, perhaps an unbelievable amount of pressure, and maybe you can squeeze out a bit of hope. You can conceive of something new and good. But what if... We go the other way. What 
famous dystopias do you think are actually worse than the present? Worse? Worse. Mm. Metal Gear Solid, as time goes on, is pretty bad. Private military companies who are in permanent war. Mm, and everyone has their own emotions suppressed in regards to the trauma of that war. Yeah. I've actually, I've mixed up post, I've mis- mixed up apocalypse and dystopia, which are two different things. Mm. Um, yeah, because everything that's coming up is apocalyptic. I wouldn't want to live in the walking dead world. Oh, Final Fantasy VII. I wouldn't want to live in Midgar. Yeah, Midgar's pretty bad. Is Midgar definitely that different <laughs> from our world? Well, would the Conservatives blow up a quarter of London just to kill some terrorists underneath? Yes, yes, they would. Yes, they yeah, would do that. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Jet fuel won't, won't melt steel beams. <laughs> 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 so if you to think about it in the edit there, if you want to keep... <laughs> Uh, I'm leaving it in. It's it's ambiguous whether it's a joke or a sincerely held belief. Yeah. If we laugh hard enough, we'll get away with anything. I did my um, um, uni dissertation on the war on terror. And the you know that period in third year where people ask you, uh, the generic conversation with meeting new people is like, oh, what are you doing in your dissertation on or whatever? Yeah. And that led to me frequently getting into, quote, debates, end quote, with uh, people about whether 9-11 was an inside job. I ended up reading loads about 9-11 conspiracy theories and also how to debunk 9-11 conspiracy theories. Because uh, they don't need to melt the beams. They, they just need to need fucking to melt. bend them. <laughs> yeah. They don't need they to liquefy into fucking steel. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you don't need to melt a tree to knock it over. What are you yeah, on about? Jesus Christ. <laughs> we're going to lose those. The, the big contingent of Mando's listeners who are like 9-11. Who've been waiting for jobs. us to say this, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're all gone now. Got to bring in the architect crew. Happy that we've set the record straight. <laughs> yeah. Attack on Titan, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, Attack on Titan's fucked. But I'd say Both the, soci- the society. Do you mean the society or do you mean Titans attacking the city? I mean the whole the deal whole you thing. get yeah, if okay. you go into that I world. Agree. Yeah. I agree. And I'm not talking about what happens later in the manga. I'm just talking about what <laughs> exclusively in season one and season two of Attack on Titan, yeah. which, is a, which is basically... You're in an agrarian, mm-hmm. Japanese understanding of German agrarian society <laughs> that is being attacked by uncanny valley giants yeah. that eat yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And also the government's kind of corrupt and looks out for itself, and it's got a tiered system. So the further away you are from the exterior walls, the less chance you are of being munched by a giant. Oh, However, man. no one voted for those giants. And I think that's <laughs> what makes Attack on Titan sort of bearable as a society, is that those... <laughs> There's no one in this society who's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. for that. Yeah. There's not a permanent chunk of like 35 to 40% of people who no matter what the giants do are like, well, I, yeah, you know, we'll, imagine if the other guys were in. Yeah. Yeah. You would have seen, a, if we're one of your guys, then a normal sized person doesn't look right, doesn't give off leadership qualities. Yeah, I don't trust him. Just doing what about her, talking about other times that we had humans in charge. <laughs> but that's like... Do you know, like loads of, talking about apocalypse, loads of disaster movies, I feel mm. are far more bearable. Like I'd, imagine two identical scenarios, almost okay. identical yeah, yeah, scenarios yeah, yeah. of an asteroid coming and wiping out all Earth. Yeah, yeah. But in one of them, in the brief glimmer before you see it and then die, mm. someone goes, I voted for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, surely that's, that's worse, right? Fuck. Or even, even worse, right? There's three scenarios. Even now. worse? One where someone goes, I voted for that. And yeah. one, where, one where someone goes, oh man, I shouldn't have voted for this. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of those three would you rather live in? Oh my. Yeah, just the asteroid just has just, not just, been beckoned by 
the people. Right. Yeah, yeah I can't it. I can't see any holes in that. You've got so me. All, all all apocalypse, all natural disasters, they're better yeah. than reality. Yeah. Oh fuck. I, I voted for Skynet. Well, You've I never say had that, that, like a horror film where like in between all the action scenes, there are some people just being like a concern troll for the robot or the zombie. There's a concept of sin, isn't there, in like horror movies where there's like an original, there's like a sin that the people have done that then leads to their deaths. You know, like in Jaws, mm. like the sin of um, capitalist greed of like keeping the beaches open or in like slasher movies, the the trope of like them having like, well, that's just the basic like sex is sinful or some mm-hmm. weird like... Uh, Puritan shit going on there. Just being a teenager. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and then you know the shit about like the virgin always survives to the to the end or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but the concept of like sin in horror movies. But no one's made a horror movie where the sin is they uh, organized and campaigned for Freddy Krueger and Jason. Yeah, that's fucked. Like even like at the very end of the movie, they're like, I don't know, it's just your count against Freddy's, so I don't know what to well, you just to listen to you, you're like eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> the closest thing I can think of is in the movie Aliens, where there's the business guys what's the company in Aliens called? Wayland Jutani. And um there's the business business guy, and it turns out that they sent the colonists to go once once they got the intelligence from Ripley that the alien was in the big ship they they intentionally sent the colonists to go and investigate it because they wanted to see what happened for their weapons division and then when they when they got there they were like he was going to try and smuggle he was going to two birds one stone and put the alien inside Ripley who would stop him and then use the use that alien to get it back to earth to use as like for bio warfare or whatever the fuck they want to do some shady shit and that's kind of like he, he, he voted for the alien, right? And then has gone to the planet the alien's on. Mm, no, because, because unlike that, there's a false idea that the alien is subordinate. So it's more like just natural disasters that have been ushered in by... You could talk that about any time like a plant or a manufacturing is pl- plant has made. It's like Jurassic Park is mm. like an example of this. It's like we made a thing to build something on our idea of progress, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, but yeah. we just didn't put the necessary safety precautions in and or sabotage from the inside. And then we lose control of a thing we made that we always intended to be subordinate. But what what electoralism does is someone's <laughs> going, I want this to be my king and I'm happy for it to kill me. Ah, <laughs> yes, yes. So so in Aliens and in Jurassic Park, they're like, this will be my tool. Mm. They're not going, I want to lick the boots of the Xenomorph or Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, in Jurassic Park, they're literally just trying to make money off of it. And in Alien, they're trying to weaponize it. Mm. You're right. Whereas electoralism is tell it's if you tell the alien to tell you what to do. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't build Skynet to have Terminator in charge. And in that way, the imagination of like what the worst thing we could think of just can't approach what's so terrifying about like leadership and rule and capitalism. Yeah, it can't get close to what's so scary about that, which is you know, like even zombies is like a close existential thing about mm just sort of an existential gap between you and other people brought on by like mm. seeing other people are so distant to you as and that was like exaggerated by consumerism mm. and everyone just wants to grab things and have them but even that you don't have someone that what's scary is someone who is another mind who is like the zombies are good actually yeah <laughs> let's let them in they're my friends wow do you know what i i talked about apocalypse fiction and said i wouldn't want to live in the walking dead earlier and the walking dead very long-running tv series famously goes very bad in about season six to season seven when it has this the Negan arc which is very good actor playing Negan but the writing just is completely dreadful however it gets 
sort of good again uh, when a new head writer showrunner takes over and she change she actually puts a villain in who loves zombies and dresses up as a zombie wears zombie skin over her head mm-hmm. and then all her followers they're called the whisperers and they walk in the zombie hordes dressed up as zombies because they love zombies and they call the zombies the guardians oh that's pretty good it's pretty fucking good and the reason it's fucking but i've realized the reason it's so good is precisely the reason you say of like that mm. is not been done. That's a unique, that's a good idea, right? Yeah. That's a cool Someone idea. Someone else who is like you, but that sides with the enemy uh-huh. so hard. What maybe you'd struggle to depict in media you might have someone that sides with the enemy, mm. but you can't really show the protagonist just not being sure what's right or wrong a lot of the time and having to take a few years to get their mind. Do you know what I mean? Like that's reality. You speak a few yeah, years yeah. ago. Actually, I've done a lot of reading and I've talked to a lot of people and I've stopped listening to my uncle and now I know the zombies actually are bad. And I, think, I think I can stick on that now. Well, they try. They have a storyline that's absolutely incredible where one of these whisperers has a baby and the leader of the whisperers basically makes her abandon her baby to the zombies as part of her like weird ideology mm-hmm. and kind of punishes her for not, you know, being super willful about abandoning her baby to the zombie horde. Um, the baby's like, everyone calm down. Huge spoiler. The baby's fine. But then they do an arc where this character starts doubting. They start going, hold on. <laughs> Is this woman? Are zombies good? Uh, yeah. Are zombies? A, I think maybe zombies are bad and aren't our friends. B, Possibly this woman who loves zombies and wanted me to leave my baby for the zombies. Maybe she's bad. And then her, her own sister, who is super indoctrinated, murders her for the leader. Right. <laughs> um, which is fucked. That's the only expert in, in like big, big popular media. Mm. That's the only thing that's come close to looking at something like that. But you know why that's not quite capturing the problem that you face as someone just living in the world? Yeah. Is because what that depicts is a cult. Mm, mm, and mm, cults mm. are external fringe beliefs and ideologies that are over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas what yeah, yeah, we yeah, have yeah, to go yeah. through is a dominant ideology that is everywhere it extends to australia you can't escape it it extends outside of the the atmosphere of the planet yeah so the the real uh, uh, equivalent version of that would be instead of there being like an enemy faction in the tv show that is this like zombie cult you would have to remake walking dead where this person is actually in charge and no one can conceive of a way of existing outside of zombies are great actually Mm. You're the only person who knows it, or maybe like a few people know it, and they just, you know, they can communicate freely. They can write books. They've yeah, got, yeah, their, yeah. you know, they can even communicate whatever. People are like, that's mad. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on your podcast. No one listens. <laughs> <laughs> Anti zomb. You know what I mean? You don't need to have like mm-hmm. in a zombie based world where everyone likes zombies. You don't need to come down hard on the 200 anti zombie people. It's just, <laughs> it's just stupid. You're going to kill all these zombies. Look at them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah that would be good I, th- there's a challenge to hollywood <laughs> hey season 10 or i think season 11 yeah they could maybe they'll do it if they're listening angela kang if you're listening that's what we'll that's what we want to see yeah specifically me and sean well actually i don't think sean watches the walking dead so i, I would like to see that please oh i thought you meant we specifically cast us but no i'll, oh, I'll no, still yeah, try and watch no, it we can, we can be jack, it. i mean if my if friend's idea goes it. in the walking dead i'm obviously going to watch it i'm not <laughs> <laughs> 
you imagine? In the DMs. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. That sure. idea I had is going to Walking Dead. I'm like, and how many series do you got to watch to get that? Yeah, you, well, you actually got to watch <laughs> yeah. like 10 and a lot of them are bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> but wow, yeah, fair. a dystopia can't quite capture what mm. is so tough about the ice. Like, the problems of capitalism are horrifying and they're scary. Yeah. And I don't think it's just... Well, I'll say partially. If we're talking films, yeah, yeah, we've yeah, talked yeah, a lot yeah. about films. It's because if you you need to see someone, uh, do you know, like the, the trope, kick the dog. You need to see something go past like a moral event. The horizon. opposite of save the cat. Yeah. So yeah. save save the cat is the Hollywood, uh, you know, bible that like Disney used to like factory out factory farm um, storylines. And if producers producers use it to think they understand storytelling because they've read this book that says all stories are the same and you need to have this and this and this and save the cat is one of the tropes where it's like you make a character a character has to do something likable so you know that's what save the cat is a reference to which actually we've already mentioned mm. aliens what does ripley do in alien one? Oh yeah yeah that's perfect and um the um i think that might be the origin of the term and then and kick the dog is the flip side of it of like if you want to make a character unlikable yeah you have them kick a dog it has to be done in proportion to what their like final justice is going to mm, be in their mm. story arc. So if they're going to be shot, they might need to do something worse than kick a dog. But if yeah. they're going to be beaten up, they can probably kick a dog and then, mm, you know, an all-American audience could be like, get him! Yeah. But if they've just upset a pint of milk and then they're like tortured and have their fingernails pulled off, uh-oh, there's a disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> Think again, rewrite. <laughs> but yeah, like you need to show that the the bad guy's done something unequivocally bad in a mm. way that is you can point a camera at it. Yes. So it can't be subtle, it can't have grey yeah, areas, yeah, yeah. it can't allow what aboutery. It has to be one of these clear black and white cases that, that a moral argument can be built on that doesn't really exist in the real world because the real world always has like a few million extra moving parts. Well, yeah, you can't be systemic. So like, you know, if you individually abused your own child by like not feeding them, mm. that's bad. But if you're like nestle and fuck around with uh milk in developing countries getting people used to feeding their children to it and then and jacking up the prices and making people pay for it well even that even that's like too that's too like obviously evil uh was mm. it with the example i reached for like just most of the most fucked stuff that happens happens at this very systemic slow grinding day by day yeah. level that it's very hard to tell as a story which almost necessarily has to have like characters and motivations. And when you try and do that shit, you know, the stuff that's tried to do that war and peace in books or the wire in TV becomes this, like, you know, then you get people complaining about it being slow and it's like, mm. has to, it's super drawn out. And there's just all these moving parts in order to try and to you show still the systemic need to thing. always at some point there always needs to be this little scene where like, someone pulls the food out of the reach of the starving mm, child. Always has to be this mm. one thing, but actually systemic problems can't be depicted by a camera angle mm. because you need to have like the compound eye of a fly showing a thousand very boring <laughs> events at once. But at the end of it, someone who's done nothing wrong is dead. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make a film like that. It'll yeah. give you a migraine. Yeah. But, but beyond like practicalities, it's very hard to conceive of that problem existing in another form because mm. you'd have to try and create a society as complicated as this one but different yeah. and that's the like dystopian thinking is hard in the same way that utopian thinking is hard uh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you can't come up with an idea that exists outside of the system mm. that your brain is in you don't yeah. try and think of like another color that doesn't exist in the color spectrum yeah 
it's like really hard to do that. All your vocabulary and ways of thinking are a consequence of the culture you are existing. Mm. Even to the point of coming up with things that oppose those things, you're, you are thinking in opposition to things you know. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really hard. Like as an exercise, I don't like, I can't mm. remember the last mm. time I've ever tried to do this. Yeah. But as an exercise, sitting and thinking about what your ideal world would be like, it gets like exponentially more impossible mm. the more you start thinking of like, I can think of what a really nice room might be like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even quite a nice flat. Yeah. Uh, a nice street. Okay, where do we yeah. get those things Uh-oh. from? Or what's our community like? I don't actually know. Yeah. Let's just do a nicer version of capitalism. I'm sorry, I'm backing out. <laughs> Just, just just, put the welfare state back. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> and like people have done it, like big respect to people who, who managed to do those things. You know, Bevan, the uh, left uh, Labour MP who was the architect of the NHS, mm-hmm. based it on the like kind of miners, local like little welfare structure that they had to like organise among their own community. But they didn't just do healthcare stuff. They did stuff like leisure things. So, so there's like a holiday camp in Skegness that was built in the 1930s by Derbyshire miners. That sounds great. You know, they're existing in a kind of a grinding existence and they're trying to find community in there and they're trying to find ways to organize their leisure. And, you know, they built, I think they built one in Rill as well, uh, in, in my neck of the woods. But these things, coming up with them is sort of impressive and then making them happen is even more impressive. Mm. Even on a little level, like I know I'm talking about like a holiday camp. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, you made a holiday camp in Skegness and Rill. Um, amazing. Yeah. And you, ma- you made it together. That. Like, that's that's cool. Yeah. I think I'm going about, like, the impossibility of anything beyond that. Like, a socialised organisation mm. going to be tremendously difficult to work out the practicalities of making that happen. But yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like that exists within our idea landscape because that has mm, happened mm, before, mm, right? Mm, From, like, socialised farming to socialise yeah, playing yeah, yeah, basketball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. The whole panoply of human experience. <laughs> <laughs> but actually thinking of like, how would you like the world to be? Like mm. you wake up, you go outside. What is it like? Is there a road there? Is there a shop? And then mm. you kind of get caught up in like, I don't know. Like it's it's almost like it's the problem yeah. of, um, there's a problem there of like arbitrariness. Like if, if, if the horizons of what you can come up with is too broad, I think the the mind panics. Yeah, just every aspect of it. Because then it's it's really easy because it's so easy to pick apart as well. So like you would never, um, capitalism as it exists emer- is, a, is a thing that's come out of all these complex historical processes. It didn't just, no one designed capitalism in a lab and then applied it into mm. the world, right? And then I think there's a reluctance on the left to go, okay, well, let's conceptualize utopia because that's yeah. you know that that tends to be the criticism that's thrown at like the collapse of the Soviet Union because by by the right, uh, which is that you know someone conce- conceived of utopia and then tried to make the world fit it and it didn't because human nature is inherently greedy blah 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 it tends to be like the kind of rightest line of that, um, but like I don't I I think you're right of like it's a useful it's not a thing to abandon conceiving of how things can be better like thinking about utopia because because it's horrible constantly living like especially you know, now the Labour Party is firmly back in the hands of capital, the complete desolate horizon of our existence, the hopeless absence of any good thing. It's, you know, the existential threat of climate change, uh, the the march of the right in, you know, Orban and uh, Le Pen and Farage and Trump and Johnson, and blah, 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 blah. like all of this shit is like grindingly fucked. Mm. And... 
like you need something to look forward to. I mean, even on a basic level, that's what like the weekend is. Because if you just fucking mm. worked every day, that's why unions wanted that and got yeah. that. Like, but they got, you know, they got it through struggle. They had to conceive and imagine that and then they got it. And that's a good thing. So, you know, th victories can be won, but it's just this permanent, well, it's capitalist realism, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's like shuts down the horizon of thought. Yeah. Do you know, when I was thinking about, um, like, I was thinking about Mark Fisher brings up the Jetsons in capitalist realism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the Jetsons is such a fantastic example because yeah. the 1950s people tried to future. think of, yeah, they tried to think like, oh, what will the future be like? We're uh, going to yeah, go yeah, yeah. and think how everything's going to be different in the future will be so much better. Yeah. And they just superimposed the 1950s <laughs> new kid of yeah. family, yeah, yeah. but now like cars can float a little bit and the, <laughs> the nanny's now a robot. But beyond that, like all power structures, even just down to the aesthetics, interior furnishings, everyone's got like a wide circular collar like like the disc of Saturn. But then, <laughs> beyond, beyond that, beyond the superficial, it's just the same thing, but they've just put like chrome on it. Fuck. Um, but there's a really important thing we should definitely explain capitalist realism, uh, which I think Sean can do and we'll, we'll just put here. Imagination is finite. Imagination is elastic. As much as inspiration can strike and new thoughts can appear seemingly from nowhere, each new idea is still dependent on those that came before. It's why no one in the Renaissance came up with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe with a Nintendo Switch. It would be a nightmare even to get them close. Start your engines! Let's go! You can only build a bridge to what could be from the secure footholds of what already is. And as much as it is nice to imagine all of human development as part of a grand teleology, a huge travelator stretching from cave paintings to a robot that does the washing up, the reality is that the limits of human imagination can go in any direction at any time. When certain realities are closed down for long enough, they don't just become unfeasible, they are eventually scrubbed from the collective consciousness. It is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. That is the quote that opens Mark Fisher's 2009 book, Capitalist Realism, a book which made concrete the mood of 21st century late capitalism. It is a world without alternatives, a world where capitalism and its technologies have expanded to fill every cranny of our life quicker than we are able to comprehend, to conceive, to respond, to react. Capitalism is bigger and faster than us, and we cannot conceive beyond the world it has made for us. Today, there is no solution to capitalism because capitalism is not a choice. It is a fundamental part of life. As such, it does not need to present itself as the most moral or the most reasonable, so long as it is inevitable. In this new mode, resistance to capitalism is no longer a real threat. Anti-capitalist sentiment can be absorbed right back into the supply chain and sold back to you. Even Disney can produce Wall-E, a film about how consumer capitalists have destroyed the planet and transformed humanity into infantilized consumers. Capitalism remains unaffected by protest, as long as the protests are peaceful. They're, if anything, a great advertisement of liberal capitalist democracy's great tolerance of dissent. Less than a month after the publication of Capitalist Realism, Rage Against the Machine's Killing in the Name was Christmas number one. Capitalism is inevitable, and it will cause climate collapse. Accordingly, it's a difficult to imagine a future which isn't scarred by ultraviolet radiation or naked authoritarianism, or both. Compare the media of the present to the media of the past. Star Trek, The Jetsons, depictions of post-scarcity utopias fueled by technology. 
As the decades rolled on, the sci-fi genre became almost exclusively about fleeing the offspring of new technology and corporate greed. Our collective imagination is limited to Keanu Reeves lurking in the shadow of a skyscraper trying to conceal a microchip from a nameless suit. All my life, I've been careful to stay in my own corner. Looking out for number one, no complications. Now suddenly, I'm responsible for the entire fucking world. And everybody and his mother is trying to kill me if, if my head doesn't blow up first. 2019's two big hitters for mainstream social commentary were Parasite, about a man abandoned by society who kills his boss, and Joker, about a man abandoned by society who kills Robert De Niro. Where in these depictions is hope for the future? Where in these depictions is the path out of this mess? Where is my robot that does the washing up? A decade after capitalist realism, we're living through the results of having no alternatives. Anything that you can imagine that might prompt a rethink of the basic structures of capital stranglehold on all aspects of public life, a global pandemic, recessions caused by an unregulated banking sector, soaring child poverty, climate change, automation-led mass redundancy. You might imagine these problems would force a solution other than cranking the profit machine until its words become deafening and plumes of scalding steam burst through the cracks in the warped metal but you would be wrong. The margins of possibility are so clamped shut that anything that bears a passing resemblance to any other kind of response in a crisis that is not blinkered capitalism will be attacked on sight. On October the 22nd, the political editor of ITV News, Robert Peston, described Boris Johnson as more Castro than Castro for rolling out the job support scheme to prevent mass unemployment, stopping a cascade of businesses going bankrupt to forestall some of the worst damage of the looming corona recession, but at the mere whiff of anything that could be welfareism. The possibility that Johnson might conceivably not be working in shareholder interest during a global pandemic, which by the way, he was, because he was subsidising businesses by paying the wages of their employees. But on that alone, one of the UK's most senior political journalists described him as being more left-wing than an actual communist revolutionary. Today, everyone with their hands at the controls is united by one idea. An untidy crayon drawing of Margaret Thatcher's ghost, which sits just behind the subcutaneous tissue on their temple. Elsewhere, all organised resistance has been delegitimised where possible, or crushed where necessary. The last bastion of opposition is the tide of public imagination. Are we still capable of imagining that another world is possible? I think a really important thing Fisher says, even though that you know Capitalist realism is an, an accurate and grim analysis, of he makes this point of like even glimmers of alternative and political and economic possibilities can have a disproportionately great effect, and in terms of like thinking about what's possible. So even like tiny things like can change stuff. And obviously those glimmers, you know, glimmers of things that exist outside capitalist realism doesn't necessarily mean glimmers of hope. It can mean like the fucking far right, um, who are not to say they're necessarily a, a threat to capitalism. Thinking about the future and imagining things outside capitalist realism is like good shit. It's really, really hard, but it's, it's really but hard. so necessary. Do you know the yes men? Yes. Um, and they kind of come from like, like, ad busting yeah, yeah, American yeah. tradition or a little bit like situationism of like make things different to make people think differently. Mm. One of their campaigns, I think, this was like 10 years ago at least, um, was to produce fake newspapers in New York yeah. and leave them out and it was just like the war's off or we're going to give all these money to people and it was all false mm. but people would pick these up 
and go, what? what? <laughs> this is happening, what, George Bush has resigned based on his conscience or something like that. Yeah. And But for a moment, people would live in a reality where that has happened. Mm, you know what I mean? Like mm, conceptually, mm, internally, mm. the newspaper has told them that. So mm. there's no, there's no, you don't, you don't come to the newspaper front headline saying George Bush has resigned with any cynicism. You just accept that. So for a moment, George Bush has resigned on conscience or the troops have been pulled out or money has been diverted to like aid or charities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you've, ha- when you've lived in that world and you've just snapped back to the real world, you're like, oh, that's like a reality. That's a mm, that is mm, now mm. a possibility, and I wouldn't even have thought about that before. Or it's like unbearably cruel <laughs> <laughs> to let people momentarily yeah, glimpse yeah. something that just ain't gonna happen. Fuck. But I think overall, like that kind of busting of people's entrenched perception of what's possible. Yeah, peeking is, out, letting the glimmer in. Yeah, useful and hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've had people say like. What what would cause a revolution? What would cause a riot? What would Oof, cause mass nothing takeover? in this fucking shell? Yeah, and it's either like everyone's dying, like everyone's dying. People are just starving. I mean, so- tw- twenty twenty. If the things that have happened in twenty twenty haven't caused the Tories to go meaningfully down in the polls in any way, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like historically, if you want something to spring from just nowhere, mm. you need just you need people to be like, well, I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> so- <laughs> I'm just going to throw myself at the guards. Yeah. And yeah. if enough people do that at once, then maybe, maybe. Well, I, I think, I, I can't remember. It might even be Marx himself, but there's some stuff of like um, historical analysis of revolutions where basically revolutions happen not when things have got like worse and worse. Things can get worse and worse for like decades and there won't mm-hmm. be a revolution. Revolutions happen when it goes like really bad, really, really quickly. Like mm. it, it, it's it just tanks off a, of a cliff. And, you know, that's kind of what you can pinpoint happening before like the French Revolution um, and it mustn't have been Marx because I, I can use the Russian Revolution as an example which happened after he died uh, could have been Ghost Marx spooky boy it could have been Ghost Marx I don't think he's putting stuff on Marxist.org no he's just doing a Twitter alt <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know what Twitter is so important for people because it can be really really isolating wanting to think about things outside capitalist realism and just being constantly denied it and one of the reasons there's such like a solid left twitter like grouping is because of the sent the shared sense of like we're not mad are we there's a we're not mad are we but i also think that like having an alt account is just allows you to be something other than your flesh vessel you <laughs> like, i'm telling ben bradshaw mp to go fuck himself but i'm baby yoda it's, <laughs> it's, it's mad i live in this new world yeah yeah have i told you what um tiktok teens trapped inside by covid have started doing what what have they done so, like, this is going to be a mixture of just not wanting to be in reality mixed mm. with isolation. So you're looking for, like, very inventive ways yeah. of getting outside of that. So they are shifting between realities. Mm. Are you aware of this? You ever shifted between reality? Uh, I've daydreamed. <laughs> well, then you probably have then by what I think is actually going on. But what mm. they're calling it is they're shifting between realities. And it is something that Sorry, I'd so they say- believe they are shifting between realities in the sense of, like different dimension you know like the mirror universe in star trek where there's like 
evil guys who have beards. I don't think such a hard sci-fi thing on it. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I think we're talking more magical thinking. All right, okay, okay. Because a lot of these, they're all shifting to one place. So not parallel universes, just... No, I think... So here, the way they're talking about it, and I've read around this a lot, and I've gone to loads of the forums, Uh and I'm waiting for someone to be like, this is just the language you use. Obviously, here we think, here's what we think is happening, actually happening cognitively or neurologically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just can't find it. I'm just seeing people talking about shifting between realities and believing (laughs) the people they meet on the other reality Mm. are real people who are like, we have more obligations to. And And when you say people they meet, people, they are um, in their brains because they're just daydreaming. Yeah, I think think there's like a consensus. It's like a mental process. But at the same time, I mean, watch the Tulpamancy app if you want to like Go whoa, really whoa. hard on whether we want to. Are we talking say tulpas? that mental entities? No, no, not are quite. They, have not they, quite, they, have not they, quite. Oh, 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 oh. so instead of instead of crafting a tulpa, they've they've fast tracked to cracking open the door to the tulpa realm, where there's an oh, infinite number they can meet. There's one really crucial tidbit you need to know because we're yeah. not. They're all going to the one place. They're all going to the same place. Where are they going? Hogwarts. No! Oh, fuck off! <laughs> fuck! Oh, fuck off! That's made me so angry. They're all... Oh, for like, fuck's sake! They're imagining a private school. Yeah. Oh, for... Oh, oh for... Oh, that's fucked me right off. My anecdotal experience of it is that it's a lot of young girls going in to have, like... <sighs> romances with some of the main characters from well, the well, Harry well, 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 like zoomers on on hogwarts is like the millennial thing i think zoomers hogwarts know right i i, I was surprised as you zoomers mock millennials for loving harry potter and yeah right for the house yeah but yeah hogwarts is they've gone mad into shifting their mind into hogwarts wow fuck. one concept that someone has elucidated on is that when you are in there yeah so hogwarts you kind of you, you, what you're okay let's assume everyone goes to hogwarts because in my oh, research they, they do you can go and do a full term there but right. like a dream you can make time pass faster mm. you could try and do it all in one sitting but they say the fastest you could do it would be like most of a week and then you'd be absolutely blitzed and you'd be, you'd be very ill <laughs> so oh, it's best to like space God. it out like take half a day and do a year. But that when you are daydreaming, because people want to live in this universe constantly, yeah. um, you can leave behind what's called a clone. And that clone is like an afterimage of you, but without any of your conscious thoughts. So it just goes through the motions of like what you do. So you can go to school, you can send your clone to work or to school. And I'm not joking, people send their clone to their job or their school Actively, all their active processes. This is Tulpa. This is the worst shit of Tulpa. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is like this is the. Is that even? Is that a character? Is that Fred Weasley? Well, what in Harry Potter? Yeah, you don't know Fred Weasley. No, what's Fred Weasley? Has he got a gun? Is Fred Weasley a school shooter? There's there's another one that's a twin. I can't remember his name, but they're like two prankster twins of the of the Weasley family, which is the one working class coded family in Harry Potter. There was one girl who went in specifically to try and like have sex with Draco or something, but accidentally fell mm. in love with Fred and like hates it. But whenever she goes in, she's like I'm in not, love with I'm him. Slamming the brakes on. Out, I'm slamming, she I'm, doesn't, I'm she slamming the brakes it. on. I don't, I don't want any of this in my fucking head. I don't know why I asked. 
Um, you could conceivably the, go anywhere. No, no, I no. It's daydreaming plus. I don't want to reference an episode that not everyone necessarily has listened to. But this, to me, sounds like the most concerning thing we said about tulpas, where like anyone could be a tulpa because the tulpa's taken over. We're talking like fucking. I could be talking to you, and you could actually be being piloted by Harry mm, Potter. There's no, there's no that you can't bring them with you. You can't bring them back. It, it is separate. I know right. it's related, but you can't get the piloting. What you risk here, really. But if you're sending them into your work, you're sending a. Oh, no, yeah, it's a you're clone. sending a clone. It's like an after image of you. It's all of your like lower, uh-huh. it's all of your like reptile brain yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're just mentally gone. Do you know what like a philosophical zombie is? We talked about zombies earlier. Oh. So like a philosophical zombie is someone that you don't know it to look at them and you mm. can't learn it by talking to them, mm. but they have no individual sentience. They are just sort of responding to their environment like a machine would. You could conceivably make a machine that's doing all the stuff you've been doing for the last hour, and I wouldn't know that. I, I, I wouldn't be able to Turing test it if the machine was advanced enough, but it doesn't have like an individual qualitative feeling of what it's like to be sat in your chair and, you know, yeah. secret thoughts and so on. And if someone is just in Hogwarts, but they're also like serving you at Starbucks, you could be meeting like pig zombies all over the place. Because they're so stressed out by their environment, they have just permanently daydreamed into a, a transphobe's wizard novel. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Simply put, today we're going to be talking about a trend that's been on TikTok for a while. It's called shifting. Reality shifting, or just shifting, is the act of moving your consciousness to a whole other reality that you've envisioned, which can be completely different from your current life, or very similar. For example, you can shift to any book or any TV show. You can even shift to a world that you've exclusively created while daydreaming. All you're doing is shifting to your desired reality. Let me just start with saying that if you're Gen Z, I know that half of y'all are wanting to shift to Hogwarts just to tango with Draco. Reality shifting is placing your subconscious in a parallel universe. You need to know where that reality is, when you are going to shift there because, for example, if you're going to shift to Hogwarts, a lot of people want to see the characters that we know and love in Harry Potter, so they need to shift from 1991 to 1998. And if you don't specify that, you're going to shift into present day Hogwarts. And obviously you're not gonna see Draco Malfoy if you shift into present day Hogwarts. I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you right now. Or I wish so bad that Hogwarts could be real. Well, I'm here to tell you that it is. When you shift to your desired reality, you can change your appearance, your class, and your nationality. Why? Because those are material traits. Decide what type of traits you have. You can literally just decide that you're immortal and you can't die. That way, no one can forcibly remove you from that reality. And let's say you're walking in the woods and you get trampled by a moose. Like, you'll just get up and walk away like nothing happened, so. Um, hold up. I just saw a video on my For You page and it was a girl being like, I shifted to Hogwarts and long story short, blah, blah, blah. I blew up the entire school and then got sent to Azkaban. Blew up the entire school as in killing everyone in it. And all the comments were like, um, this ain't a video game. Like, this is real life. Like, they're just as real as you and me, meaning you literally just are a serial killer. And this bit, th- this woman had no shame. She was like, she was like, darn, okay. Like, and it, y- y'all need to be reminded, you guys are like, actually, that you're crazy. Like, you can't just go around killing people. It's not okay just because you're in a different reality. It's still real. What the fuck? You can't just go ch- cheating on people. Like, that makes you a shitty person. You are a horrible person. 
But at least they're escaping capitalist realism. I'm mm. going to say, like, I mean, they're absolutely even, not because they're even still. Even that dystopia. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying about like, dystopia is yeah. not being worse? Even the dystopia yeah. where everyone's gone into their own head mm. and is like living mindlessly inside, like, kind of a rubbish Ursula Le Guin knockoff book, <laughs> <laughs> is that it's still better than mm. being out here. Nah, I'd rather be out here than in Hogwarts. You'd rather be out here. You don't have to go to Hogwarts. You don't have to go to Hogwarts. You can daydream what you like. Go to Green Hill Zone. I don't mind. <laughs> Yeah. No, actually, Green Hill Zone's really fucking dangerous. <laughs> Green Hill Zone's a real nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a wasp that is the same size as me mm. and, and is made of metal. And I yeah. can't leap and turn into an orb to smash fuck out of it. It would destroy me. Yeah, you'd never get up the ramps. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd never get up the ramp. Would I fuck? I wouldn't be able to pick up at sufficient speed. A loop? Fuck it. Fuck no. Yeah. No, I don't want to. I'm trying to do a forward roll down one of those. You'd break your back. <laughs> you'd I'd get trapped in it. I'd um I hate to bring up Star Trek again, but I'm gonna do it. I say I hate it. I fucking love it. And you know I love it. New Star Trek, which has many excellent things about it, for example, LGBT representation, which 90s Star Trek and obviously 60s Star Trek uh were fucking dog shit at. But one of the th- interesting things about Star Trek is that it imagined a utopian future. Mm. So like uh, you know, it was it was Nichelle Nichols was convinced to remain on the show, which she wanted to quit uh, by Martin Luther King, who said it was his uh, favorite TV show and thought it was, you know, socially and culturally important to have, you know, Nichelle Nichols in that prominent role. Although she doesn't really fucking do anything other than like answer phone calls, you know, the equivalent. She's she's basically a space secretary, which is fucked. But nonetheless, she's, you know, when Jim Crow was still going on, she's on a prominent television show. She's on a spaceship. Yeah, she's on a fucking spaceship. And she's on a spaceship with, you know, there's a, a Japanese guy on the bridge only two decades after World War II in an American TV show. There's a Russian guy on the bridge during the Cold War. And they're all working together and their quest is just to explore and enrich their understanding of the world. That's all they want to do. They're, it's a post-scarcity society. Uh, racism and war are gone and they just explore the world. Obviously in the 60s one, it's still sexist as fuck. It's pretty fucking sexist in um, the 90s and early noughties ones as well. But what the new, like really new, like Alex Kurtzman showrun Star Trek has done, is like stripped out all the utopianism and they've gone like, wouldn't it be cool if all this all this was fucked and we just get rid of all the utopia and like everything's actually, or if we dig beneath the surface, it's all, it's all like fucked, yeah. And it's just, so they've taken, the thing that was like interesting about it of like a glimpse of a uh, positive world, they've completely abandoned. And like writers fucked around with that all the time before, you know, there was like corrupt captains and in Deep Space Nine, there was questionable things about the hierarchy of Starfleet and blah, blah, blah. But they've now like sort of gone all in on just completely fucking that off. And just, uh, they, in the most recent series of Star Trek, they have leapt into the future and something's happened called the burn, which has just completely destroyed the entire utopia that existed. So they've, they've literally now just, just, just destroyed it in the, uh, in the show. But in that way, Star Trek has always kind of reflected the times, both both through the sexism, Mm. but also like the ability to imagine utopia. I can remember like, I know it's like sort of derided and kind of a joke, but remember mm. like the hippie movement and stuff, people really believe yeah, you could like reconfigure yeah, 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 yeah. your relationship with the yeah, earth yeah, yeah, yeah. and with like how you show love and affection. Yeah. And yeah, it's problematic, but like <laughs> it, dreaming real big there on like what the possibilities of their movement's social mm. aims could have been. Mm. And now it's like, I feel like everything changed at like the end of Fight Club where they just blow up those buildings. It's <laughs> like, we've sorted it. It's like you've sorted fucking nothing. What are you on about? Yeah, build a new exactly. Building. That's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they'll never think to build this building back wasn't it 
I might be thinking of the book, but I think it was the banks with all the servers in. Yeah, and so they've lost people's credit and stuff. But like, it doesn't reset anything. Yeah. It's like so naive, but it yeah, just ends yeah. on like an explosion. Because it doesn't change the social relations between anyone. Well, it's fundamentally a destruction of something, not a creation of mm, anything. Nothing's mm. going to come and replace this. We've just knocked down a building. Mm, like, it mm. hasn't done the intellectual work to know, like, what replaces the thing you're opposing. It hasn't <laughs> really even sketched out what it's Well, there's nothing like that. Well, that's well. why, like, even Star-, Star Trek as a utopia constructs a world that's still, like we said, rooted in the world it was made in. And that's mm. similar to the sort of Jetsons thing, although I'd argue Star Trek goes much further than the Jetsons. What is there that represents that now? Is there anything, is there any utopian view of a world outside of capitalism in like popular media? Is there a single thing? Like the closest I I can think of Game of Thrones, which sort of existed outside capitalism in the sense that it was feudalism. Which is still better. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Yeah, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we are we're going to end up doing a feudalism good actually episode yeah. it's going to happen um like can you think of anything try like really rack your brains now and try and think what popular work pierces through capitalist realism and, and envisions I- either either it doesn't have to be a utopia it can be like any kind of you know social relations or or thinking well, outside of I'm- where we are i can't i can't fucking think of anything and that's why i i you know i think that's I why i wear I, I- 90s trek is like a comfort blanket because in places tries to do that where my head's going for like what is achievable and might exist in in small amounts in corners of contemporary media yeah is just about shows that can depict social relationships Mm. of people treating each other with mutual respect in a way which doesn't reflect the harms of society Mm. so just small series or even like jeopardy free series where people have good healthy relationships know how to communicate with one another and can use that as a basis to achieve goals it's a far cry from utopianism but it feels like utopia compared to but what is that give what have you watched that represents that because there's a storytelling problem there because obviously you need character conflict to tell stories in most mediums. You need characters in conflict with each other. And that doesn't mean like they hate each other and they're arguing. It's just, you know, they may slightly disagree about something or have two, they may be two good people who have different goals and therefore end up in conflict. But a necessity of storytelling is like characters in conflict, which was a problem they, which was a huge problem they had in Star Trek because they, Gene Roddenberry insisted in the early Next Generation that there'd be no conflict between any of the characters. They all just, they're all good at their jobs and they really get on with each other and they work well together. And any conflict had to come from outside the utopia, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, and it fucking drove the writers completely insane. The only ones I can think of come from like the world of like short form anime. Okay. What are you, I mean, I might not have seen it, but tell me about some. I'm trying to think. I know that there is a lot of anime which seems borderline jeopardy free. Mm. Um, there isn't really a main problem. There's just a storyline that slowly advances and they just go closer towards achieving whatever it is. But I, I'm struggling now to wrap my brains. I know I know what the vibe is. It's just like easy watching. I think it's one of those things, like when you talk about like comedy mm. that doesn't punch anyone, you can always like stretch and think, oh, there is something that you can like see as like jeopardy, but the stakes can always be just quite low. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. So just to clarify what Sean's referencing to there is like, there's a concept in comedy of like, you always punch down, but then you can say to that, well, why punch anyone or anything? Can't you just mm. 
make something that's funny. Punch. Doesn't, I am yeah. a 100% advocate that comedy doesn't need to punch. And as an extension of that, I don't think that all stories need jeopardy. They just need... No, I agree. ...variation and change. I, I'm trying to think of stories... So we've already conceded, but we've basically said, well, there's not going to be anything that exists outside capitalist realism. So what we want is just characters exemplify, say, for example, the principle of mutual aid. But again, if you, I guess if you just say that, then people kind of do that in like soaps or whatever. But I would still say they exist inside capitalist realism. Everything exists within capitalist realism. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, it, that's what it is. Even when you think of like, I mean, this this won't yield any good examples, but yeah. like Disney has come close to perfecting the mm. idea of a completely morally good mascot figure mm. that just mm. doesn't really even have any qualities to mm. speak of. Mm. But even they exist within capitalist realism because you can't have like this outside a capitalist mascot that's then fronting the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> I mean, so much of cultural production is controlled by Disney now when they mm. own the big, you know, they own Marvel, they own Fox, they own Star Wars. Well, do you know what I've always liked and that really helped like reassure me mm. is this idea that like if you're talking about socialism or communism or whatever, like future configuration of people and yeah, the relationship yeah, yeah. to, you know, resources, whatever, no one can know what that will look like. Mm. No one can possibly mm. have in their head what that looks like. Mm. Why should that stop you? trying to create that world no one knew what 2020 capitalism would look like no. i don't think it stopped them from building it and forcing us to live in it yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have to have all the answers because one human brain can't sketch out no it's impossible an entire site you know we, we're always talking about how hard it was for people to come up with a leisure center in skegness you want me to <laughs> talk about what the world ought to look like well you want me to sketch that out yeah no way you just push for the conditions that you want right people and their conditions is the mm, whole mm. reason that these are our ideals you work out the mechanism to create that after the fact, you just push. You push in the right direction. You push in the direction. You You're imagine a thing to sketch it out. better and organized to make it, to then make it real and mm. push, 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 push towards that goal. Things can be better and you need to imagine that it can be better than it is now because you need something to push towards. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be perfectly sketched out. And that's not the job of it. The job no, of it is to let you think job. and no. it's to light a fire that gives you some amount of hope towards the future. Mm imagining that social relations could be different imagining i mean i'm sure you won't find a very riveting like show about this but you know yeah, yeah. just the distribution of resources could be different <laughs> I'd watch something like the bill but it's just people getting like a necessary amount of wood and bread and <laughs> what the bill it would be like the bill in that it's this long form serialized public service oh, okay yeah. it's not cops it's not yeah, cops. Yeah, i'm just thinking just about making that clear <laughs> i'm trying to think of a well what are the soap opera casualty yeah i feel like the thing about the police is they come out and get you, which is what I want from a really good milkman. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like if doctors went out to your house, then yeah, maybe. Can you imagine? Yeah, imagine a TV show just about organisers. I'm just thinking about replacing the police with milkmen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch a TV show about postmen, union organisers, communications workers, union organisers. Yeah. I think you could make a great TV show about that. I think it would all be like, it would, be, it would go very like 12 Angry Men. It would just be inside like one of the break rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you an interesting thing uh, in terms of like imagining things outside capitalism. Do you remember the early, early Rona, like March, April, 2020, when all these mutual aid groups just like pew, popped mm. up and it was like, wow, that's fucking cool. Like there's all these things. And then the communications workers union was like, oh, why don't we repurpose the Royal Mail to be delivering food packages and things like that. And then the Royal Mail were like, no, no, fuck off, fuck off. And then the government said, oh, let's have a campaign for volunteers. And then just like pulled all the fucking air out of it. Pulled mm. all the air out of it. But I think cling on to that because that, that was a glimmer. 
You know, Fisher says like these glimmers that come that pop through. I think yeah. that was one of them. The the, the speed at which all those kind of mutual aid groups popped up, and the solidarity and the willingness of uh, people to help each other out, and repurposing of existing really quick repurposing of existing organisations to help vulnerable people and help each other. That was fucking yeah. cool. And that happened this year, and that happened in the UK. And it happened all all over. And it wasn't like, a story; it, it was a thing that happened. It was yeah, a they full fucking... international movement to be like mutual aid pop up now yeah they everywhere they, they fucking crushed it <laughs> but it happened but it, and happened. it can happen again and people exactly. are then ready to make it go uh-huh and that's what's needed i think just absolutely it's not utopianism but like during rona a lot of back and forth about like mm. are people good or are they like evil and just my friends are good <laughs> you know what i mean do you have that one are like people generally all yeah, right or is it just yeah, yeah. my friends are all right and i've been lucky else i should just assume it's like a bastard and just be careful yeah. them. and i think people are generally good i think people who are bad mm. just get a lot more press people aren't good and they want to help some people are thick and some people like <laughs> don't know how to be like mm-hmm. do good things in the uh, world because they don't understand really how it all works so they get misled quite easily yeah, well. but i think well-meaningness is commonplace mm-hmm. and people once institutions and pipelines through which you can help become more obvious and stop getting crushed, Mm. it will stop being a fringe thing. Mm. And you'd never get that in Green Hill Zone. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. What was that a reach? Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean. Additional music from Sean Morley, Jack Evans and Victor Eichhout's Globe. If you enjoyed Mandatory Redistribution Party, please consider supporting us on Patreon or recommending us to your buds. Thank you for listening. See you next time.